0: hello everyone and welcome to the jiggy jaguar experience i know i don't sound like jiggy jaguar do i i know it's jay Izzo, right and i'm filling in Sometimes we have to give Jiggy a little bit of a break, but, you know, it's still KJAG Radio. It's still 24-7 FM Radio. We're on 50 stations across this great country of ours. And you know what? I get this great opportunity to fill in, and it's pretty awesome. And I have a great guest. Actually, I've been given a great guest on the Jiggy Jaguar Show. I have been given Clark Kendall, and he is a personal finance expert, and we're going to talk about his Outstanding book, middle class millionaire, surprisingly simple strategies to grow and enjoy your wealth. Listen, do you has, do you remember the show out there? Do you remember that show called you know Who Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do you know what we're going to find out? It's actually not it's it's actually not that hard to attain if you just follow some of the strategies that clark kendall is about to outline for us today here on the jiggy jaguar experience and again my name is jay Izzo filling in for jiggy jaguar and so we're gonna have a great time so let me introduce our guest for us um right now because he's outstanding his name is clark kendall he has over 30 years of domestic and international investment and wealth management experience focused on serving middle-class millionaires he holds a bachelor of business administration degree in finance and economics from james madison university and is a former equity seat holder on the new york stock exchange clark is currently the president and ceo of kendall capital in washington dc and a member of the washington society of chartered financial analysts he's also a chartered financial analyst a CFA, accredited estate planner, AEP, a certified financial planner, CFP, and of course, he is author of Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth. Please welcome to the show, and welcome to you, sir, Clark Kendall to Jiggy Jaguar Experience.
1: Wow, Jake, what an introduction. Thank you very much for having me on your show today. It's an honor. (laughs)
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. I got to tell you, I read this book uh, from cover to cover as I talked to you prior to the show starting. Love this book. And I'll tell you one of the reasons that I love this book. And I said this to you I did not get, I'm one of those, you talk about this in the book that there is, you know, really a small percentage of people who ever get a, in school, a financial planning class. I was one of those kids in the 80s who never had a personal financial planning class. And so when I was a spender, you know, I, I, I I really got to be honest with you. I was a spender and I still have to fight that tendency, even though I've become more conservative as I've aged, but I was a terrible spender. And, you know, you talk about when you introduce this book, you know, you say right from the very beginning, millionaires aren't as rare as they used to be. All right, it's more common for people to amass, I'm quoting the book, it's becoming more common for people to amass a net worth of a million dollars or more by the time they retire. But here's the thing I want to ask you about in that, and I know that this what you're saying is true, and everything that you're saying in the book was absolutely accurate and true. But then you start introducing us to these multimillionaire athletes and and celebrities who all of a sudden go broke and I, I had this question for you that I wanted to ask, even as a psychological professional, why is it that people can accumulate millions upon millions, maybe tens of millions of dollars and then wind up broke? How does that happen? Well,
1: I think, you know, to, to quite frankly, to accumulate a million dollars, um, if you do it all at once, if you win the lottery, if you get a big NFL contract, um, you never went through the learning steps. It was a learning step for me to earn $1,000. It was a learning step for me, and I had to change my thinking to earn $10,000. To accumulate 100000 is a different learning step. You have to go through grade school. Each one, of the, each one of the steps, you can't start off at calculus. You first have to learn how to add and subtract. And I think what happens with these super athletes and the lottery winners, they never go through middle school and high school. They just they're dumped with this large sum of money like they're a college graduate. And, and I think that is the problem. I think there needs to be incremental steps for the sudden wealth. And we see this also with inheritance, too, if people inherit money all at once. So the, the big thing I, I'm all about is kind of educating people to go through the learning process and to learn how to make that first thousand dollars learn how to make you know ten thousand dollars and you know quite frankly it's to teach someone to fish instead of you know constantly feeding them
0: so uh, by the way we're talking to clark kendall here author uh of the middle class millionaire and here on the jiggy jaguar experience so clark one of the things that you know struck me i'm i'm you know i'm now over 50 now but one of the things that I was like, okay, I've got I to gotta ask this question, and you address this in the book, by the way. Of course, it's always better to start in terms of saving money and preparing for retirement. The younger we are, the better. But is it, but is it ever too late, or can you give hope to people who are a little bit older?
1: Well, I, I'm one who believes, as I, as I end the book, I say success is not a destination, Success is the journey, and wherever you start that journey, I think should be applauded. And yeah. quite frankly, you remember Kentucky Colonel Sanders didn't start Kentucky Fried Chicken until he was 65 years old. Right. You know when mo- most people are thinking of retiring. So I think, and quite frankly, whether you only accumulate fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, I think it's a lifelong process. And wherever you start it, of course, the earlier you start it, the better. But I do think I see many fifty-year-olds and say, "Oh, I'm I'm too old to start
0: this process." I say, "No way!" Good for you. So let, let's let's just jump right in here. And because I love the title of chapter one, the title of chapter one was the mindset of a saver. When you start talking about the mindset of a savior, saver, not savior, I listen what I did there. The mindset of a saver. What? Because you actually are going to be saving people, by the way, way, with what you're about to say here, Clark. But when you talk about the mindset of a saver, uh, what what are you talking about psychologically here? Are we talking about a change of of mindset, or are we talking about utilizing mindset? Talk talk a little bit more about what you mean by a mindset of a saver.
1: I, I think the mindset of the saver is, I don't need the fanciest car. I don't need the newest cell phone. I don't need to go out to dinner, you know, four times a week. I, you know, I, so I think it's a, it's a mindset that I don't need to have the latest and greatest. I'm at peace and what's important to me is to share a meal with my family. Mm -hmm. It's important to me to have a car to get people around, but I don't need to have a new car every three to five years. I I need to have a safe vehicle. And I think that's the mindset we go through. You know, of course we've all heard the story. If you can save 10%, give 10% away and enjoy life 80% of what you earn. I think that's the key to, to financial happiness.
0: Mm, I love that. You know what I love about your book here? And we're talking with Cart Kendall, author of the book, Middle Class Millionaire. What I love about your book is it seems like at the end of almost every chapter, you give us practical guidelines of what to do, you know, with your chapters, which is what I loved about your book, because right in chapter one, you know, you, you start wrapping our mind around, you know, save first, then spend. Right, sounds practical, right? I mean, that's a very practical way to do it. Save first, then spend. Of course, you live below your means. That's awesome. Start early, right? We talked about that, and and you talk about those three things as being the three basic habits that you need to develop over the course of time. But you know, as a psychological professional, personally, and because that's what I do, uh, I I find it very that's hard for people to not keep up with the Joneses. What do you tell people? You know who want to go? Yeah, you know Clark. I hear you saving first, living below my means, and starting early. But you know, like, you know, I, I don't want to be that person in the neighborhood that the people talk about because how do you deal with the you know ego and pride get in the way? How do you deal with that as a financial expert?
1: Um, I I mean I'm frank with people. If you if you don't start saving something you're going to end up being a Walmart greeter when you're 80 years old, you go. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being, a right. first of all, there's nothing wrong with being a Walmart greeter, but you are going to have a life. You, you're closing your choices and opportunities down the road. And the, quite frankly, you got to be happy with yourself. You, you should not, no one should be leave, living to please your neighbor or to live up to your neighbor's standards. So, uh, I think that's kind of the big problem If everyone tries to keep up with the Joneses. But you know, if you're, if you're, remember your name's not Jones and you need to live for yourself.
0: I love that. So I want to move on. I'm going to move on to the next chapter because you said something that I never heard of in my life in, in all about financially. And I want you to talk about it. It's called the rule of 72, and you talk about it as being a great planning tool, and it's a great source of inspiration for folks. So talk to us about what is the rule of 72 in terms of helping us determine how long an investment will take to double a particular fixed annual interest rate.
1: Well, okay. So the the book is broken down in three different areas. The first third of it is how to accumulate wealth. And the rule 72 is whatever's divisible by 72, um, either the interest rates or the years will tell you how long it takes you to double your money. So if you earn 7.2% rate of return, it will take you 10 years to double your money. If you earn 10% rate of return, it will take you 7.2 years. Um, I think what's really interesting in today's market, you look at the 10-year treasury, the 10-year treasury is yielding 1.7%. It's going to take you more than 50 years to double your money if you're buying 10-year treasuries, you know, at at 1.7% interest rates. So I think it's helpful to kind of change your mindset, you know. And when we look at the stock market, it is volatile short term. But you also kind of ask yourself, you know, how long will it take me to double my my money? Because all investments boil down to a return of cash flow and that predictability of cash flow. So the rule 72 is a very simple elementary rule, you know, for people to gain that concept of like, how long will it take me to double my money?
0: And, and that leads that leads Clark to the question that I, you deal with throughout this entire book. Um, middle class millionaire: Surprisingly simple strategies to grow and enjoy your wealth. By the way, this book, Middle class millionaire, is available on Amazon. You can also find it at your local bookstore. So make sure you check out the book. is entitled again Middle class millionaire: Surprisingly simple strategies to grow and enjoy your wealth. It's an outstanding read. By the way, it's an it is not it's not it's not a read that's gonna you know you're not gonna spend eight days reading this book. This is a book that you can read. Uh, it's a relatively quick read, but it's so filled with information. And by the way, he has an in the, he has an appendix in the back that actually is kind of like a glossary to help you understand some of these the jargon and terms that is oftentimes thrown around on the CNBCs and the Bloomberg TVs that you kind of go, what are you talking about? And he's got a lot of those terms in the back of this book. And I found this book to be absolutely what a what a great re- by the way clark what a great resource that's what i lo- enjoyed about this book was i was like man this is this is a great resource and i wish i'd have had this book when i was 15 and and i'm really sad that you didn't write it 40 some odd years ago 40 years ago so i really wish you did it uh but, well, but it's
1: I, i'm also in my 50s so i was <laughs> i was living it you know 35 years ago so uh
0: <laughs> so I, I really wish you'd wrote this book for me years ago, but it's it is a great read. And by the way, folks, I really encourage you uh, to pick this book up. It's available in Kindle form. It's also It's available in in a couple different forms. So why don't you take the book and not only get the book for yourself, but why don't you give it as for somebody who you know that you know because it's never too late. Because he addresses everything here in the book. So I want to talk because we just we just talked about you know the rule of 72, but one of the things that leads right into what you just said, Clark, and that is risk. And risk is when it comes to our finances, you know, I find when it comes to money. We oftentimes will say we're real risky, but when you watch how we invest our money, we're not as risky as we want to believe. So, when it comes to risk, how do you deal with risk? And as a person, or did, do you encourage risk, or is that all part of your own style?
1: Well, I, that's a great that's a great question. And w- we talk about kind of risk. Risk is not having the money when you need it. And we talked about we utilize the concept of tranche investing. And if you're sending your kid to college, if you're paying nursing home bills on a regular basis, you know, short term money and I can serve short term money less than three years. You should have it a fairly, um, unrisky investment: CDs, treasuries, money market accounts. You want to have access to those funds. If you, if you, for individuals that are going to need money four to ten years out, I call that kind of intermediate risk. What do you do with intermediate risk you uh You invest in things like dividend paying stocks. But when you talk long term for investors' needs where they don't need them- mo- a fifty year old who doesn't need the money for ten or fifteen years, you talk about you know long term maintaining purchasing power, you know hundred thousand dollars will buy you two nice cars or three nice cars today. You want to make sure 10 years from now, if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you can maintain that purchasing power. And quite frankly, if you buy a 10 year, going back to the example, if you buy a 10 year treasury, you know, 1.7% car prices will probably go up more than, you know, 2% per year or, you know, our CPI is, is right around there. So, we talk about kind of maintaining that purchasing power and hopefully even having that capital work for you. So risk is when someone says, you know, they're risk adverse, quite frankly, if they put all their money in that money market account, they're actually assuming more risk because they're not able to maintain that long-term purchasing power. So it's a balancing act to be quite frank with you.
0: I Yeah. I- I, I tend to, I tend to like in my own personal finances, I tend to have, you know, I got some things that are high, more, more, certainly more riskier than others in my investments. And I have certain things that are very conservative and I tend to be well balanced in, in those type of things. And I, I think it was really interesting how you took this book, um, middle class millionaire, I thought it was really interesting how you were able to discuss with us all these different options that we have in terms of investing. I think uh, in a later down chapter, you talk about tranches, I think is what it's called, right? Tranches? Tranches, tranches, yes. Yeah, tranches, yeah. is it tranches? Tomato, I tomato. <laughs> Well, you talk about, you know, we've got those three levels of tranches and, and I thought that was really interesting because I never heard those terms before, which brings me back to chapter three a little bit. When you talk about financial literacy and I, you know, I think for many people, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting this as a psychological question. You correct me because you're the professional, right? But. I think one of the sometimes the reason why we're so afraid to talk about financial things is because we're not very financial literate. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I see financial literacy on a daily basis. We have college professors, high school teachers, who don't understand the basics uh, of finances. I'm. Um, I will point out in May, uh, the Wall Street Journal pointed out an article that. Harvard is having all incoming freshmen, their first year, first semester, take a financial, personal financial management class. So I think, you know, one of the best schools in in our country in the universe is addressing this issue, and hopefully that will trickle down um, to create financial literacy. Uh, I think on the opposite side of the coin, we have the vanguards and the fidelities and the Schwabs of the world, pushing prices down. Um, And, you know, so much of this do it yourself through the index and target date funds. I just, you know, people are utilizing these products, um, incorrectly and it's almost like me going into home Depot and buying a bunch of two by fours and trying to build a house. (laughs) Uh, I just think it's a long-term, you know, mistake. Yeah. Well, I
0: also, you're right. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: I also kind of want to share with you another story and I point out this story in the book, um, 20 years ago, you talk about financial risk. Um, 20 years ago, I had a client who back then had $6 million. She was 90 years old. And Alan Greenspan was talking about irrational exuberance in the marketplace. And Charles Schwab wrote a book that whatever your age is, minus a hundred, you know, should be your allocation to stocks. And that $6 million quite frankly today would be worth like $25 million. And I get, I went to her with all my, you know, the letters of academic research behind me. I says, do you think our allocation to stocks is too much? And she goes to me, she goes, listen here, Sonny. She goes, I didn't accumulate $6 million buying CDs and treasuries. And uh, so I think it's okay to own stocks. And secondly, at 90 years old, I don't think I'll ever be able to spend $6 million. So you're really investing this money for my children and grandchildren. And I think they should own stocks, don't you? Amen. Like, <laughs> hey, what a wise woman.
0: <laughs> well, I think we get afraid. I think we get afraid of stocks. I, I think that's I think that's the thing and I think it's because we don't understand them very well. I think what we I, you know I think like probably most people, we don't spend time trying to understand uh, that particular part of it because it you know the stock exchange moves so fast and then you know you talk about this in the book, about how, you know, so often we get caught up into the doom and gloom of what's being reported on CNBC or Bloomberg and so we are a little bit, we get fearful and and you try to help us calm down our fears in the book, in, in, in this book here a little bit because you you point out very clearly listen, you, you can't if you you cannot look at the doom and gloom of this that's being reported because that's not really the whole picture
1: yeah no, I agree. I agree. I, you know, we, we just, what was it? We forget how, how short ago it was, but in 2008 when we went through the financial meltdown, um, what I noticed during the, the financial meltdown, I have four children. You know, what, none of them stopped texting using their Verizon phone. You know, they all, ke- they kept on leaving the light switch on that, you know, was their Baltimore gas electric and Pepco bill. And, <laughs> So I, I think it, and they all still continue to eat like horses. So the grocery bill didn't go down as like, it's but I had quite, quite resolve in my, owning Procter and gamble and owning, you know, the, the kids still used a lot of toilet paper. And, um, so I think sometimes when you take that common sense approach, you realize what's going on in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, you, you say you make this quote in the book, you say, understand that we are emotional creatures by nature. Try to guard against making emotional-based decisions that can trip you up on your path towards accumulating wealth. And I thought that that was such wise advice is because we can get so caught up into the emotions um, of of everything. You, you talk about, uh, in the book also, you talk about educating your children financially. If you were to give folks who still have kids at home if you were to give them a couple pieces of advice about educating your their kids about money and accumulating money and what what would be some of like maybe your top three tips what would be Clark Kendall middle class millionaire authors top three tips for those parents
1: well c- a couple things I think as I point out in the book you know one of the things I did for my children as I said I have four children, every year for Christmas I bought them $500 worth of stock and I would make up a little cheesy stock certificate and I would, I would put it in a frame so they would eventually put it on their bedroom wall. And you know, when they were little kids, they was like, Oh dad, it's one dad stocking stuffer again and they throw <laughs> it aside. But as they got, got older, they start. they wanted to look at their statements and they wanted to talk about what each one of the companies did. And it was, you know, it was quite, uh, quite helpful as far as their learning process. And so I, as I said, I, my oldest is 29 now and she's fully doing her 401k maxing that out. And it's just, it's, it's a pleasure to watch them. Another thing I see time and time again, most middle-class millionaires, um, who have been thrifty savers, um, end up accumulating a lot of wealth. And I said, have you talked to your children about, you know, how to accumulate wealth? He says, oh, no, they don't know how to manage money. And I said, well, why wait until you die and have them inherit millions of dollars? Why not teach them? Why not fund their Roth IRA account? Why not let them understand what it means when the market comes down 10%? And you, you keep on investing, you know, year in and year out. So I think those are some very helpful tools to talk to your children. As you point out, that was kind of one of the biggest mistakes. I also pointed out in the book, um, I started off my career at 12 years or started investing when I was 12 years old. At the time I had 12 grass cutting jobs. I made, this was back in the seventies. I made five bucks per yard. Yeah, 60 bucks per week. And after two weeks I went out and I bought the coolest swim bicycle you could buy in the 1970s. And after that I started putting the money into my savings account because, because I just didn't really know what to spend it on. And my dad saw what I was doing and my dad started getting me and goes, why don't we buy some stocks with this money? And we did buy the, the back then it was AT&T and the the utility companies and, And he even took me to shareholder meetings and, you know, where we would see the chairman of the board talk and the chief financial officer talk. We talk about revenue growth and earnings growth. And it was a, it was a valuable skill. Right. Quite frankly, at 12 years old, I was hooked on this whole wealth management investing game. And and to say the least, I've had a wonderful lifetime of uh, participating.
0: We're talking with Clark Kendall. He's author of a book that we're talking about right now called Middle Class Millionaire Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth. You're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar program. Yeah, I'm not Jiggy Jaguar. My name is Jay Izzo, and I'm filling in, giving Jiggy just a little bit of a break as we talk to Clark Kendall and we talk about his outstanding book, by the way. This isn't this isn't just a good book. This is a great book. And and by the way, it's a it's just I don't care where you're at in your financial finances. I don't care if you're doing really, really well or if you're still trying to figure it out or if you're not sure what to do. This book is for everybody. I'm telling you there's something in here for every single person. There is an educational piece because just when you think you thought you knew it all, Clark Kendall surprises you by saying "Eh, there's more to it than what you're probably even thinking about. And it's extraordinarily a great read. It's well written. It's it's an easy to understand read, and it's just going to make so much sense. You need to check it out. It's available on Amazon. It's it's called again Middle Class Millionaire, and uh, we're we're talking with him. Do you still got some time to hang with me a little bit here, Clark?
1: I sure do. Yes, go
0: ahead. Awesome, because I would love to. I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And that is the one of the biggest mistakes that I had to learn to overcome because my father did not believe in this and it, a lot of things. I just heard your dad, you know, actually passed down something really cool to you, and he had you invest your money. You know, my dad, on the other hand, refused to buy used vehicles. Refused to buy them. He, he always, he always had to buy a brand new vehicle when he was going to buy a new vehicle. Now he would run them forever, but he would always buy new vehicles and I came to learn later in life that uh in my probably in my 40s uh in my late 30s early 40s I came to realize you know what this is a depreciating asset why am I investing in a new car that's going to lose 40 percent as soon as I drive it off the lot this is not making any sense and there are a lot of vehicles that are really high quality vehicles that I can get pay cash for by the way and I, and they can last me, I, the last used vehicle I had lasted me 16 years. And so I was like, so what am I doing? But I find, and do you, don't you find the same thing? I think you do that. I find a lot of people spend a lot of money in these depreciating assets we call vehicles.
1: No, mm-hmm. yeah, we do. We, no, we, we address those things, especially the more popular cars, the the sports cars, the high-end cars depreciate even faster than the Honda Accord and the Camrys. I tell you, I, what I see middle-class millionaires spend a lot of money on kind of unwisely is owning that second vacation home, owning the vacation, owning the beach house, the lake house, uh, the ski house. When you do the math, as we point out in the book, and, and I follow this myself, you know, there's a lot to be said just, you know, if you're going to go skiing for a week, just rent a place for one week a year. And you know, because so many of these vacation resorts will sit vacant the other times or either that, or you got to hire someone to take care of it. It's, it becomes very expensive maintaining a a second vacation house. And um, so I see that as, as kind of a big hurdle in the
0: marketplace yeah I think you know i we have we have a second home um we're two and a half hours away from it, and we go every other weekend, so we regularly use it and we've paid it off and so we so it's something that we use regularly and uh it's also something that we allow our employees to use as kind of like a bonus. For what they do, so we we use it. But you know, so many people will get involved in so many of these things where they think they have to have a second home, and then what happens is they really can't afford it, and then they don't realize the upkeep that it takes to get it. So they think they're actually making a good investment, when the truth of the matter is, it's really not that great of investment because now you feel like you're kind of stuck if you don't happen to enjoy the beach like we do, but. Is some people want to go to the mountains. Some people want to do those other things. We just happen to drive down the road two and a half hours or two hours or so to go there every other weekend and because we love to just get away. And, and that's our little escape for my wife and I. And then we spend a couple of weeks there over the winter during the holiday season at also. So I under, I completely understood where you were coming from. And I think one of the biggest dangers I I see are these, what they call the shared, the, the, what do they call the shared, the timeshares that people will invest in and they can't get out uh, is another, Mm -hmm. is one that I, I don't understand why people see, think that that's a good idea. I think they get sucked into what you talk about, the emotion of the moment. They get some irrational exuberance (laughs) you know, and then I think they end up, they end up with a bad investment. And I think this happens quite frequently when they buy a second home in the mountains or they buy a second home, uh, you know, somewhere else off and and I couldn't agree more.
1: That's true. That's true. And extreme case, I, I use the example of if somebody has $10 million and if they have nine, $1 million houses and a million dollars in cash, you know, eventually they're going to use up that million dollars in cash, just maintaining these $9 million homes. But if someone has $1 million house and $9 million in cash, they can literally live dumb, fat, and happy the rest of their life, you know, properly invested. So that's kind of an extreme case. One of the stories I also bring out in the book, I had a, uh, two teachers, very frugal savers. This was probably back in 2010. Um, they had a half million dollar house and they had a hundred thousand dollar mortgage. And this is right after the the great recession, their mortgage was at 7% and it was fairly expensive for them to refinance because of the local taxes and transfer taxes. Um, yet they also had a hundred thousand dollars CD earning 1% interest. And so we sat down and talked, they were taking advantage of all the retirement plans that they were available. And I said, the next most conservative thing we can do is to take your CD money and pay off your 7% mortgage. And we agreed upon it and, and we left the meeting and they were going to go do that. And then six months later they came back and, and their mortgage hadn't been paid off. And I said, well, I said, why didn't this happen? And, and basically the client said, well, that CD represents, the, you know, the, my mother's estate mm. and she had a hundred thousand dollars estate. And every month when I open up that CD statement it reminds me of my mother and I think about her. And so we talked about her mother and I said, so that CD is kind of like a tombstone, um, that, that you remember your mother. And she goes, yes. And I go, do you realize that tombstone costs you $500 a month to maintain? And she goes, what do you mean $500 a month? And I go, well, the the mortgage at 7%, the difference between that and your CD at 1% is 6%. 6% of $100,000 is $6,000 divided by 12 is $500 a month. Oh boy. And she goes, I never looked at it that way. Mm. And I said, yes. And six months later she came back and she had paid off her mortgage. She says, you know, I really think that's what my mother would want me to do.
0: And That's I awesome. Said, yes, I do. You know, it's 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 interesting, isn't it, that we get uh, you see this. You're you're a financial professional, but that we we th- often think as because it's our money, and I've talked about this psychologically at conferences when I speak. That you know sometimes because it's ours and we hold on to it. That what we frequently do is that we we think that we know more about money than a financial advisor knows about money. (laughs) And the truth is it's, and you make this and it's so true. It's like you thinking because you've designed a house that you know more about building a house than the builder. And that's just, that's not true. What does a, what does a somebody like you who is a professional, this is your profession. This is years and years of study. This is years and years of research, this is years and years. I I know that you've had to take exams and over. What is really, when you say to somebody, here's the real value of a financial professional like you, what is the real value?
1: I think, I I use the example in the book. My wife and I built a house uh, 20 years ago and she drew out on graph paper. She's not an architect, but she drew out on graph paper what she wanted it to have being a good husband. Of course, I agreed with her, Uh, but we took it to a builder and the build, (laughs) the builder said, I see exactly what you're trying to accomplish, but let me tell you something. This is structurally is not sound. We're going to have to move some stairwells around. We said, we said, that was, that was great. And thank God he did. And we didn't try to build it on our own. And as he was building the house and and I always say, he wasn't that smart of a guy, but he had built a hundred houses before. And as we were building the house, he made some points, like think about where you want the light switches. Do you want the light switches to be when you enter and exit a room? Mm-hmm. And, th- and he had many little tidbits for us to think about what we really wanted. Um, and he also subcontracted a lot of things out. We're on well and septic and the septic field wasn't put in correctly. And he, I didn't know this, but he had the power to call up the plumber and said, you know, if you want to build the next 30 houses for me to the plumber, he goes, correct the Kendall's plumbing. Cause it's not correct. And I think that's where the wisdom of building either a house or a financial house where if a good financial advisor should be able to listen to what your goals and objectives are, and he should be able, he or she should be able to, to to put out the vision to put out the blueprint and also to use the buying power of kind of what are the key things that if the septic line isn't declining four inches for every four feet, that it's not put in correctly. And that's something that here again, if I had gone and just bought two by fours at home Depot, I would have never been able to build a truly a dream house that we were looking to do. I think on the opposite side of the coin, I think also the big problem in our industry overall is we have fiduciary advisors, advisors that sit on the same side of the table. And they are also non-fiduciary advisors. When you go into the bank or you go to a insurance company and buy an annuity or a brokerage firm, you know, they're not, they have a conflict of interest because they're paid a commission to sell a product just like if you went into a car dealership, you know, sometimes they have specials trying to get rid of all the yellow, the yellow VW bugs when (laughs) you really shouldn't be in a VW bug. So I think that's a hard thing for the end consumer to realize the difference between a fiduciary advisor and a non-fiduciary advisor.
0: And your book really does go into detail about explaining the the different types of advisors. And uh, you you make a really, really big deal about that. And I really appreciated how you were able to explain that in a very nonpartisan an explanation of, you know, what to look for and to do that. And what I loved about your, by the way, I love the story about you and the house. And then I love the plumbing story about the builder because having built a house uh, as well, built a couple houses as well. You know, that whole idea of that when the builder says to the subcontractor, By the way, if you ever want my business again, you're gonna fix this. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very it's a very big, powerful move. And it and it makes sense, by the way. And I think it made sense to me too, when you know, I have a financial advisor and I I, I love him dearly. He's more than just an advisor, he's also a confident and a friend. And I think that's what financial advisors become if you're really close to them. But I I, I think the one thing that I will say is the one thing that you just said. He helps me turn the. he helps me make sure that the light switches are in the right place to turn things on and off in terms of my financial future. And, uh, that to me is something that really came out when I read your book. And by the way, we're talking with Clark Kendall, who is the author of middle-class millionaire, surprisingly simple strategies to grow and enjoy your wealth. Clark, we've been on for over 30 minutes and I, it, this has been an absolute pleasure for me and, and I want to, first of all, I want to say thank you for being on. But before we go, would you please let people uh, know, I, I've already told them they can get the book on Amazon and, and other bookstores, but let people know how they can get a hold of you if they have any questions for you as well.
1: I, I would be honored to have any of them. Uh, contact us at kendalcapital.com We have video blogs on a regular basis. We also have a monthly e-newsletter that goes out to our clients and And non-clients, so it costs nothing for them to sign up. Um, If you have a particular question, feel free to contact us uh, through the website or to call us. But it's Jay, you've done a great job of interviewing me. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: Thank you so much. And by the way, folks, if you're listening in Kendall Capital, it's K-E-N-D-A-L-L Capital. So just to let everybody know who's listening out there and will be listening in the future, K E N D-A-L-L You can, by the way, if you look up Clark A. Kendall That's K-E-N-D-A-L-L And you just Google him up His his website and all his information comes up immediately And you can find Middle Class Millionaire He is, uh, actually he's a really good looking guy I'm just telling you, he's a good looking guy I've seen his picture as an author, he's a great looking guy But the book is outstanding Folks, please Please, please, I'm, I could not encourage you more to get the book because it's. I found the book to be really a just uh, resonated with me and taught me so many things and made me rethink uh, even in my financial strategies. Uh, what it is I want to do. I mean, he talks about Social Security and and he and I really love putting off. You know, put off your Social Security as long as you can. He talks about it. is it time, right time for you to retire? I love what I do. I don't see myself. I don't have a high physical stress jobs. So he talks about, you know what, if you love what you do, maybe it's not time for you to retire and you can do what you do. So uh, he addresses so many things. He talks about, um, estate planning and, you know, your future and long-term care. There's he literally, I think there's not a topic that's major that he doesn't cover in this book. And I cannot emphasize enough that it's just an important book for you to read. And it's not, A um, tremendously long read. It's actually a relatively quick read, in my opinion. Uh, because I found it to be enjoyable, and I read it really, really quickly, and it's very high-ranked. It's only about 200 pages um, from cover to cover of reading. So get the book. Again, it is called Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies, um, and it's absolutely outstanding. Clark Kendall, you have been an amazing guest. I want to just thank you so much again for your time here in the Jiggy Jaguar. I know, folks, I'm not Jiggy. I'm Jay Izzo, and you're listening to 24-7 AM FM, 50 stations across the country you're listening to KJAG radio iHeartRadio, radio all over and Clark Kendall thank you so much I really appreciate it
1: great thank you. you did wonderful job it was a pleasure and an honor to be on your show this morning. and
0: let's let's stay in touch Clark I will uh, I'll uh, connect with you um, after the show and we'll stay in touch
1: great thank you very much